Good to be with you. It is, as I was saying, it is Good Friday. And so we say Good Friday to you here on Priority Talk Live, WXJC, 101.1 FM, and of course uh, also streaming at WXJCRadio.com. And what a wonderful day to be with you here on Good Friday. Uh, Much to talk about, of course, you know, if you've been listening in this week, we have uh, been totally devoid of any uh, current issues or um, politics or, uh, you know, this person or that person. We have totally focused completely on the Holy Week and these Holy Days, the, uh, the actions, the, uh, the places, the people that made up Jesus' last few days on this earth uh, in human form. And so we are glad to be with you once again today as we uh, sort of finish this out and uh, this hour, we talk about the cross. Next hour, uh, you will hear from 2012. Now, we have aired this many times over the years. I think practically every Good Friday we've been on the air, we have uh, aired this uh, these segments of attorney at law, Warren Lightfoot, a uh, courtroom attorney who came into our studio and turned our studio into a courtroom, and he presented the evidences for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so you will hear that next hour. You'll hear the evidence laid out, and you are the jury, and you will um, make the call. You will make the decision on the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he does an outstanding job. He had spoken. This is when I was on in the mornings between 8 and 10 a.m. on on, uh, WXJC, just on a different signal at that point. And he had presented that morning at an early morning breakfast on Good Friday and then came and joined us in studio as well. His wife was with him, and uh, we took uh, three segments, so, uh, you know, 45 minutes or so, counting our commercial breaks, to lay this out, and I think that you will enjoy it. Now, it's young Greg from, uh, from 10 years ago, uh, and it's, uh, my, it was my first Good Friday on the air. It was the first time we had been, uh, it had been almost a year since we had started the program, and so you'll notice that, obviously, that, that's going to be part of it. I'm going to sound a lot different. Uh, even the, uh, I think, the recording of the broadcast is, is even different. It, it may sound just a little different. But every year that we have aired this, we always get uh, great feedback on it. We've had, um, uh, people, we've had people write us from prison that were listening to this and heard it and, uh, and, and felt compelled for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so that'll be one hour from now. Uh, you'll hear that here on the program. Now, let me remind you, you heard this earlier in the week, but let me remind you that Easter Sunday morning, that Franklin Graham, you heard about it here Monday with uh, Wayne Atchison when he was in studio with us, the uh, historian and chief ambassador, senior ambassador for the Billy Graham Library. He broke the news to us telling us that Franklin Graham would deliver an Easter message Sunday morning from Ukraine. That will happen at 11 Central Time, 11 o'clock our time in Alabama, Tennessee, our time. It will also include an 80-voice choir of Ukrainians, and two Ukraines will lead in prayer. And so this will be a powerful time. It will be on Fox News. Uh, Rupert Murdoch has allowed this to air free of charge. Uh, He had a friendship with Billy Graham. And uh, it, that's pretty significant to give up an hour of your airtime or ever how much time it is, at least an hour, to, um, to, pres- to, to allow Franklin Graham to share the Easter message, to share the hope of Jesus, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ 
with a worldwide audience. So um, either DVR that, record that, um, watch it if you're home. I know many people will go to services on Saturday night, early Sunday morning. You may be home at 11 o'clock. Maybe you'll have family over. Turn it on Fox News and listen to Franklin Graham present the gospel from Ukraine and this wonderful 80-voice um, choir of Ukrainians. Uh, I can't think of anything that's going to be much more powerful than that here uh, over this Easter weekend as far as things that man can do. We know what Jesus has done, and of course that's really what it's all about. Uh, yesterday, uh, during the um, second hour, we, we really finished up. Um, the Friday got into uh, Thursday, got into Friday just a little bit. Of course, we were talking about Jesus before Pilate. Pilate bows to the pressure to have Jesus crucified. Um, he uh, has him, um, of course, uh, beaten, uh, uh, flagellum. He has him whipped. And we uh, all have seen and heard the stories in the accounts of how brutal uh, of, a, uh, of a treatment that was. Uh, he, would, he did that hoping that would be enough for the uh, Jews, that that would satisfy their, uh, their bloodthirst for this man called Yeshua. But it did not. They continue to uh, want his life, to have him crucified. Pilate says, I find no fault in the man. Uh, but he does cut the deal and, and offers Barabbas. And, uh, and that's sort of the way that he works his way through this. And so Barabbas was preferred to Jesus. Now, I thought I would read you something right here about Barabbas. It's not very long, and we'll do it as we go to break. Again, Wayne Atchison with the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association senior ambassador and historian. He sent me this this week, and uh, he's been listening to the show this week while he's been in, in the state driving around to different appointments. And Wayne sent me this as something that he wrote. And I'll read this, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk, think about Barabbas. We've just been kind of hitting the high points of this, uh, all of these uh, different characters and people and places. Barabbas. It was the custom at the Passover feast each year to release a prisoner whom the people requested. On Jesus' final day on this earth, he was arrested in a garden and taken for trial. It seems that Pilate didn't necessarily want to send Jesus to his death, but the Jews pressured him into it. Then he asked the chanting crowd, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Christ? Who was Barabbas? He was the son of a rabbi. He was a preacher's kid. He was his father's darling. He came from a devout home but ended up condemned to the gallows. He was a man of some notoriety, a popular hero of a certain fame, but he committed three crimes. He was in prison for murder. He was a thief and a traitor. On this day, Barabbas was sitting and chained on death row, knowing he would be killed any day. It was over for him. There was no hope. He heard the shouts ringing from the courtyard, crucify him, crucify him. He was thinking, they're coming after me. But the crowd yelled, Barabbas, to be set free, the murderer over the Son of God. They preferred a criminal over the one who preached the Sermon on the Mount, who healed the sick, who raised the dead, and forgave sins. Barabbas watched Jesus take his own death. So the question facing us and all of mankind is, what will you do with Jesus? You can't be neutral. Jesus said, he who is not with me is against me, Luke eleven twenty three. At Easter, we celebrate because we chose Jesus who hung on the cross for our sins and rose on the third day that we will be saved forever. Hallelujah. Again, that's from Wayne Atchison. And uh, 
gave us permission to uh, to share that with you on the air today, and I thought it most appropriate on this Good Friday. All right, we'll continue to recount the uh, the crucifixion of Jesus during this hour, and then the resurrection during the five o'clock hour. We hope you'll spend it with us. Fox Mortgage, NMLS, 184-762. Jim Corey, NMLS, 212-055. I just want to talk about my experience with Fox Mortgage. Cordarius Witherspoon is another very happy Fox Mortgage customer. They were able to get us refinance. We saved about 1.8% on our interest rate, and that saved us thousands of dollars on our monthly mortgage payment. We were able to also do a cash payout on our mortgage with that refinance, and we were able to pay off a lot of debt, so it was great for us. If you're looking to refinance your mortgage, I would highly recommend Fox Mortgage. The people over there at Fox Mortgage, Jody, Dawson, Melody, all of them were persistent in getting the rate that I needed, and they were really helpful. Hi, I'm Jim Corey, president of Fox Mortgage. I'm ready to help you with your mortgage needs. Call now, 661-6868. Fox Mortgage, where we're quick as a fox. Fox Mortgage President Jim Corey and his team, let them go to work for you. Jody, Dawson, Melody, look, they're great partners, and they will help you find the right program at the lowest rate with the lowest closing costs. They're ready to go to work for you today for that dream home, maybe your first home, refinancing, possibly a cash out to pay for some bills or some other things you've got in front of you. Let his team go to work for you today at 205-661-6868. It's Fox Mortgage and Jim Corey where they're quick as a fox, 205-661-6868. What heights of love, And we're back in for this second segment uh, of this hour on this Good Friday as uh, we continue to uh, track the timeline, the happenings, the people, the places that make up uh, this Good Friday. Uh, we've been studying the Holy Week all week long. Uh, next week, we'll get back to some current events and things going on. Uh, but this week, nothing more important that we can do than focus on uh, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And that's what we've done. Uh, Pilate bows to the pressure to have Jesus crucified. Um, you have to remember that uh, this was done overnight. We went into that some yesterday, the timing. Um, these different um, you know, people that he stood before, uh, from Annas to Caiaphas, to, uh, to Herod, to Pilate, back to Pilate, uh, was done overnight. And it was uh, done strategically, I believe, in that way. It was planned, his arrest, his trial, his execution, so that really the people would not discover what had happened to Jesus until it was too late to intervene and to save him. Uh, you know, we, we talk about the crowd, crucify him, crucify him, Barabbas, and that's all true. But you've got to remember, that was probably a recruited crowd. Uh, it was a crowd that was brought to be there for these purposes. You know, we don't we see the same thing happen nowadays. You know, um, when there's a, a protest to be made, um, the people are alerted to be there. They come. Sometimes they're paid to be there. They're bussed in to be there for untoward purposes. Uh, it seems to be uh, those more on the evil side of things, uh, the unrighteous side, who who tend to like to stack an audience. Um, that still happens. So that's sort of what happened here. Um, so Pilate turns over Jesus. It's Friday, uh, I believe, uh, the 15th of Nisan in the Jewish calendar. Jesus is crucified on the altar uh, of the cross. Um, it was 9 o'clock in the morning, I believe, when they crucified him. 
and at the temple at 9 a.m., the first lamb of, of the daily uh, Tamid was sacrificed and, uh, and focused on atoning for sins and restoration of relationship with God. So these people are busy sacrificing in the temple while the real sacrifice was happening at Golgotha. Um, Golgotha, uh, crucifixion. We're gonna, we'll talk about Golgotha in a few minutes. Uh, let's talk a minute about crucifixion uh, and, and what this um, really was, was all about. You know, uh, the Romans did not uh, invent uh, the, the cross. We call it the Roman cross, but they didn't, they didn't invent the cross, but they had sort of perfected it. And they used it as an as a act of state terror. Uh, it, it was a good time to do this because many people were flooding into the city for, for Passover and all of these Jews coming from the nether regions of the Roman Empire would have seen these people crucified outside the city walls as they entered in. And it was there to, to put terror into them. Uh, it's a method by which a man is so excruciatingly and horribly put to death that anyone who would see it would cower. And the Romans, um, they didn't come up with this, but they learned it, they refined it, and they made it serve their purpose. And uh, they had it down to a, to, to a science, quite honestly, of how to do this. Uh, Jews, when they sentenced, had sentenced someone to death in the past, they did it by stoning them, by uh, pushing them off of a, a, a ledge and then throwing stones at them. And when you go to Israel, as Jason and I have, you realize why they stoned people. <laughs> Because literally there's places to push people off everywhere. And what's all over the ground, Jason? Everywhere. Stones. There, there everywhere. are stones everywhere. Yeah. I mean, every part of the, the country. Yeah, the, the Romans, I believe, got all of their practices from the Assyrians who, uh, That's right. who perfected all of that. The scourging, the anything you could horribly do to a person, the Assyrians had come up with it. They had. And it uh, served their purposes perfectly because it was such a visible act. It wasn't uh, done in private. It was done... Uh, in public, and it was a an act of state terror, I think is a good way to say it. That's what Stephen Mansfield calls it. Um, to be crucified is to be staked. Its purpose is not death, but um, it's torture and then death. It's the ideal combination of death, vengeance, spectacle, and terror. It is perfect for the needs of imperial Rome. Um, they experimented with crucifixion for decades before arriving at the most satisfying approach. Uh, it's the in, impelling of a man uh, that turns execution into crucifixion. Uh, it um, is the, uh, the idea of, uh, of suffocation on a cross. And um, they had experimented different ways to do it, but finally came up with the way that was the most, uh, uh, the, the most sufferable. Uh, and it was precision, and they knew exactly where to put the spikes. They knew, uh, you know, right between certain bones and tendons. They knew right how to do it, and so um, they these were professionals, who who absolutely knew exactly how to put someone to death on the cross. Now, um, on the way to Golgotha, and we'll talk about Golgotha in just a moment. But on the way to Golgotha, I, I want to take a minute and sort of um, talk through what's called the Via Della Rosa. Um, there is a path when you're in Jerusalem that you can follow that's called the Way of Sorrow, the Via Della Rosa. These are primarily traditional spots or symbolic spots, you would say. Uh, but it has been maintained for a long time. 
Uh, and on Fridays at 3 p.m., an organized procession, there are uh, Franciscan monks. Uh, they, uh, they will stop at all of these. Uh, I think there's 14 stations of the cross. They'll do this on Good Friday. And so the streets are not the same, and these are traditional and symbolic, not, not as authentic. But we do know from Scripture that Jesus is condemned to death. That happens there with Pilate. We talked about yesterday how there's actually a street surface from Jesus' day uh, there at the, um, uh, the, the, the convent of the Sisters of Zion, the Fortress of Antonio, which was built by Herod the Great, and he built that to honor his friend Mark Anthony. And so there is a street level there that, uh, that we do believe was uh, genuine to the time and is in the area where Pilate would have been. Uh, so Jesus is condemned to death. Jesus receives the cross. Jesus falls the first time. Jesus meets his mother. Simon is made to bear the cross. Then we have uh, the woman wiping the face of Jesus. What's her name that wipes the face of Jesus? Uh, I'm trying to, trying to pull it. Can't quite pull it. Somebody can help us. Jesus falls a second time carrying the cross. He meets the women of Jerusalem. He falls a third time. Jesus is stripped of his garments. Jesus, Jesus is nailed to the cross. Jesus dies on the cross. He's taken down from the cross, and Jesus is laid in a sepulcher. And, of course, that leads us to the church of the Holy Sepulcher. We'll talk about it when we come back. It's a, a place you can visit now. It's one of two sites where um, people uh, honor the death and the resurrection of Jesus while you're in Jerusalem. We'll talk about both of them and give you a little bit of background and history on how they became um, to be sites that are, uh, that are venerated about the death and burial and uh, resurrection of Christ when we come back on the other side. And don't forget the evidences for the resurrection with Warren Lightfoot. This is from 2012. You will hear that next hour. We use it every Good Friday, and uh, this is no exception. Stay with us. 1.USA is a security company serving churches and businesses in the state of Alabama. Don't wait until something happens to protect your employees and your valuable property. 1.USA's experienced staff understands your security needs and wants to help you before a problem arises. From video surveillance to card access control and commercial security systems, 1.USA has got you covered. Call 1.USA today at 205-701-0191. That's 205-701-0191 or visit OnePointUSA.com. That's the number OnePointUSA.com. OnePointUSA. Be secure. My life be like. And we return and we continue uh, until 5 o'clock to talk about the uh, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Um, Not able to follow every single... um, moment of everything that happened it all was significant i think there's something like 28 prophecies specific prophecies fulfilled on the crucifixion day um, concerning his suffering and they were all fulfilled in every detail uh, pointing and showing to anyone who uh, would obviously uh, look to see that he was truly the messiah and um so 28, and so we're not having time to hit every single one of those, uh, but we do want to uh, draw attention to uh, Christ on the cross. Of course, we talked about how it really became a, uh, a, uh, a suffocation, really, as they would push down on the spikes 
through their feet to lift themselves up to relieve the stress on the arms. It became difficult to breathe when you let down. You had to push up, and of course that was excruciatingly painful. Um, the arms would rotate. It was a, just a very, um, very difficult um, death, as torturous as anything could ever be. And so much happens while he's on the cross. Of course, there are the, uh, the seven sayings from the cross that the gospel writers record for us. Uh, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. As he interceded um, for those transgressors. That was foretold by Isaiah. Uh, Today you will be with me in paradise. Uh, that was said to the, uh, the criminal on the cross beside him I want to we're going to talk about that a little more in just a little bit uh, then uh, woman behold your son he says uh, as he saw Mary his mother standing by and knew her cares and griefs and uh, he saw John later John the Apostle standing not far off and so he took care of his mother of course uh, in Matthew 27 46 there's my God my God why have you forsaken me he was forsaken so that we did not have to be forsaken um, just uh, as powerful as it can possibly be. Statement 5 in not John nineteen twenty eight is, I thirst, showing us that he was fully God and fully human and reminding us once again that Jesus identifies with our very specific physical needs. Statement 6 is, it is finished, signifying that our sins had once and for all been paid for. The power and control of sin in our lives was broken. It is finished. The debt owed by man to his creator um, on account of the, uh, Adam's sin and everyone's sin since was uh, dealt with. And it is finished. It doesn't not only take away man's sin, but removes it as far as the east is from the west. It's done, signed, sealed because of the blood of Jesus. Um, this brought forth uh, many Old Testament prophecies and symbols and, and foreshadowings. It is finished to tell us stuff. And then finally, the seventh statement, into your hands I commit my spirit. Um, he says to the Father, and then he, uh, then he died. He passed from uh, this earthly life. You can entrust your life, both eternal salvation and, and your daily life, your daily needs to the hands of God. Into your hands I commit my spirit. The seven sayings from the cross, and uh, I've preached a sermon series through each one of those, and each one of them are so rich uh, in meaning, it's uh, difficult just to kind of move through them. Um, but, but understand the meaning, the depth, um, the sin debt that was paid, uh, every sin of every person who ever lived, past, present, and future, the, uh, the grief, the agony, the pain, the shame, the guilt. Can you imagine what Jesus took upon himself. Um, let's stop and talk about the places that uh, recognize this in Jerusalem. Since we just got back, and I've been there several couple of times, um, we have the Church of the Holy Sepulcher. It's, um, it's, it's the last of the five stops on the Via Della Rosa, and many of the, uh, the 14 stops are inside the Church of the Holy Sepulcher in, in Jerusalem. It's a sacred spot, there's no doubt about it. Um, we don't always go there when we go to Israel. We, we, we tend to always visit the uh, Golgotha and the Garden Tomb, and we'll talk about it in a moment as well. But 
Um, but people believe that underneath this roof of this church is the, uh, is the place of the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection. Now, it was built here in A.D. 335, and it was built by Constantine, uh, the Roman emperor, after his mother, Helena, uh, had become a Christian. She began to, um, and, and, and Constantine as well, she began to go and travel and find the holy spots of Jesus and mark them. And so there's been a spot on this church, a, a, a spot at this church marked continually since that time. And so uh, the church that's there now dates back to like the 11th century. And uh, it's, uh, it's shared by uh, several different churches, uh, Catholic, uh, Greek Orthodox, Armenians, um, share this building and you go from one quarter to the next. It's a big place. Um, you find a, uh, a circular stairway. It goes up to a 14-foot um, ledge that's the traditional spot of Calvary. They call that the Chapel of the Nailing of the Cross. And uh, it uh, has a mosaic there um, of Jesus uh, while Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus, watch. Um, there is also a, uh, a hole in a rock where it's believed the cross of Jesus was erected. You can actually reach in and touch that place. I've done that. Jason, I don't know if you guys did that or not. Did you? Did y'all go to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre? Okay. Um, and then there's two holes on each side. They say they're for the other crosses. Um, then there's a, um, a large slab of marble, and it's the stone of the anointing. And this is believed to be the stone on which the body of Christ was laid out, treated with spices, and wrapped for burial. Now, people really, um, I mean, uh, get uh, emotional here. Pilgrims kneel. They rub, uh, Catholics rub rosaries over the stone. They kiss the stone. They wash it with their hands. Uh, I mean, people, I mean, they, they lather all over it, quite, quite honestly. Um, but uh, it, it is a, um, it's, it's something to see and something to experience for sure. All of this is. You, it's hard to see it all, but um, luckily I've seen most all of these. Inside there also is a, um, inside that church is a bench-like altar. Uh, it's the pillar of flagellation, they call it. It was brought there from the fortress of Antonio, which is moreover uh, where Pilate would have been, of course, and it's believed to be where Christ was tied to this pillar when he was beaten, when he was flagellated by Pilate's soldiers. And so, um, you know, Helena came to the Holy Land. She discovered these sacred spots. She memorialized many, including this one. And um, some say that the spot was revealed to her in a dream. Um, others just say that there were some some Jews or, and others who, um, who had some documents that, uh, from, his, from a father and a grandfather, like a family documents that were handed down that told them of this location. Um, so it is a, um, you know, it's quite a study, if you ever just want to get into it, as to, uh, as to is this the place of the crucifixion. And, and also in there, there is a, a I guess, a, a grotto you can go into, we call it, and it's to be the place of the resurrection. It was to be the tomb of Jesus. And you can also visit it and go in there as well, although it's uh, typically quite a wait to get in there. People will line up uh, early in the morning and wait in line all day long to go in there. And, uh, and, it's, uh, and it's cool to do it. I've done it. But um, it doesn't have quite the, uh, the aesthetics as does uh, the garden tomb. And uh, let's talk about the garden tomb. We, uh, we always visit the garden tomb when we go. And uh, I think most everyone does, and, and you may go to 
uh, there as well to the um, Church of the Holy Sepulcher as well. But it's called Gordon's Calvary and the Garden Tomb. Um, it is the another traditional site for the crucifixion and burial. Um, and again, we don't know which one is the real one. And, and honestly, it doesn't really matter. The fact is it happened. You're in uh, within a small area of space on this planet where it happened. The exact spot is not really the most significant, but the fact that we do have somewhere to recognize, think, honor, and pray. And um, in, 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 I'll just say this, in the general area of where it happened, I mean, when you think about planet Earth and you can narrow this down to a couple of acres, quite honestly, of where it happened, that's pretty, uh, that's where it happened. Let's just say it that way. Uh, the scriptures actually tell us it was Golgotha, meaning literally the skull. Luke 23 tells us that. Matthew 27 tells us that where Jesus was crucified was near a highway and that it was outside the gates, we learn as well. So uh, Gordon's Calvary has become a, a more recent um, site, and I say more recent, um, 150 years or so, that, uh, that people go to memorialize the crucifixion and then the garden tomb nearby as well. So uh, it's named after a British general, uh, Charles George Gordon. And uh, it was about the, the late, eight, about 1850, I think, uh, General Gordon was walking atop a wall of Jerusalem, which is a cool thing you can do, uh, the ramparts walk. And he was doing this, and he pointed to this hill, and he remarked to a friend, that looks like Calvary. In the rocky limestone knoll, you could see a resemblance of a skull, and you can still see it. Two eyes, a nose, and a distorted mouth. Now, what you see now, I was just there two weeks ago, what you see now, it was two weeks ago today we were there, is the two eyes, the nose that was there has fallen off. There are pictures of it, but the nose has fallen off. You can still see it sort of looks like a nose, but a flat nose. And the mouth is now underground because it's been built up, and Jason knows right there at the base of this, uh, what we now call Gordon's Calvary, is a, what, it's a bus stop, right, Jason? Yep, pretty much. You stand there, and you, you're looking out over it. And, and by the way, Jason, they've redone that hole where you stand and look. It's more open now. They've got, like, some theater-type seating Oh, so there. they opened it up a little bit more. They, yeah, good. they really did. It was kind of like just a little— uh, That's good. That was the biggest problem when we were there last time because, I mean, there just wasn't enough room, enough space. I think. You know, yeah, yeah, now they've opened it up now, really made a nice viewing area there and a place where you can sit where a guide can talk to you. Uh, pr pretty nice. It's good stuff. I'm um, glad they did that. So even while you're there, you can see that this looks like a skull. It looks like eyes, and you can see the nose, and, and the mouth now is underground. But you see pictures of what it did look like. Um, and so uh, others had noticed this before, but it was, it was uh, Gordon who sort of popularized the site. There, there's really no archaeological evidence to say that this, is, this spot is Golgotha or Calvary. Um, but since it has the appearance of a skull and it's clearly outside of the, uh, the wall of the old city, uh, it, it has become um, a place that pilgrims like us go to memorialize the death of Jesus. And it has a very genuine feel to it. Now, Jesus would not have been crucified up on top of this. It would have been down at the base of it where the bus stop is now. Uh, and it would have been a thoroughfare for people coming and going uh, into the city. And, and that would have served the Romans' purposes because 
it would have um, the pilgrims coming and going for the feast and for the pass for Passover would have seen these these people crucified out on a very public street, and it was a state terror. It was the way they kept the Jews uh, sort of under control. It was fear. And so uh, a garden has also been discovered, and in that garden, an empty tomb. And it's identified as possibly the, uh, the private garden of Joseph of Arimathea where Christ was buried. We read all about Joseph of Arimathea offering his, his place of burial in John chapter 19. The, uh, it, you can go in it. it has a very, it's a very beautiful place. It has a very genuine feel to it. Uh, I'm sure you've seen pictures of it. If you haven't, look up the garden tomb. Just search it and you'll find it very easy. Um, and it's somewhat shaped like a bathtub when you go in. It's, a, it's um, uh, been lengthened, I think, over time. Uh, maybe larger, longer persons were put in it at some point. You know, they would only bury them there for about a year. The body would decompose. They would take the bones, put them in an ossuary, and then that's what would be buried. Um, but Christ was buried in a tomb, not his own, but borrowed. He wasn't going to need it for long, quite honestly, though. And uh, thousands upon thousands upon thousands have come to this garden tomb with a conviction that this is the tomb in which Christ was buried. If it was not, it's very much like the tomb that Christ would have been buried. Um, it's, um, it's a great place of worship. When you go there with your group, we and most all groups will also participate in uh, communion while you're there. They'll, they'll provide the elements for you, give you a private place. We just did that two weeks ago today. Um, we share a short message. We, uh, we, uh, we take the, the, the bread and and the juice, and we partake the body and the blood symbolically of uh, being in the place where Jesus' body was broken and his blood was shed and where he resurrected. And um, this is the place that we believe, that we celebrate. Um, what it says there, there's a sign there on the door, for he is not here, but he is risen. And so everybody has to sort of decide and use your own personal judgment <laughs> which uh, one of these, uh, what the evidences are for these two sites, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre or the Gordon's Calvary in the Garden Tomb. Um, sometimes people say, my head says the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, but my heart says the Garden Tomb. And you can go back and forth. There are good arguments to be made on both sides. It's sort of like the uh, premillennial or mid, you know, or postmillennial. <laughs> uh, there's good, si good arguments to be made on both sides, and I'm not going to fall out over anybody with it. But certainly, uh, Gordon's Calvary and the Garden Tomb certainly give you that feeling of I am where Jesus died and rose again. And uh, it is a mountaintop experience. There's no doubt about that. Um, that service and celebration in the garden, reading scriptures, partaking in the Lord's Supper, right there in the sh right beside the empty tomb and at the foot of Calvary, you get the feeling that he is present. And um, that he could step out of the shadows and he could speak to us as he did to Mary and say, go tell the world that I am alive. Mm. It's Good Friday. Uh, we're going to uh, wrap up our Good Friday conversation when we come back from this break. And then um, we will come back after the top of the hour with uh, audio from 2012 here on the show. The first Good Friday that we uh, had a program. We started in May and it was by the next spring 
in 2012 when uh, Warren Lightfoot joined us, attorney, and presented the evidences of the resurrection, turning our studio into a, into a, a courtroom, and you're the jury. We'll do that next hour as well. Stay with us. We've got one more segment to talk about the cross on the other side. Fox Mortgage, NMLS, 184-762. Jim Corey, NMLS, 212-055. I just want to talk about my experience with Fox Mortgage. Cordarius Witherspoon is another very happy Fox Mortgage customer. They were able to get us refinance. We saved about 1.8% on our interest rate, and that saved us thousands of dollars on our monthly mortgage payment. We were able to also do a cash payout on our mortgage with that refinance, and we were able to pay off a lot of debt, so it was great for us. If you're looking to refinance your mortgage, I would highly recommend Fox Mortgage. The people over there at Fox Mortgage, Jody, Dawson, Melody, all of them were persistent in getting the rate that I needed, and they were really helpful. Hi, I'm Jim Corey, president of Fox Mortgage. I'm ready to help you with your mortgage needs. Call now, 661-6868. Fox Mortgage, where we're quick as a fox. Fox Mortgage President Jim Corey and his team, let them go to work for you. Jody, Dawson, Melody, look, they're great partners, and they will help you find the right program at the lowest rate with the lowest closing costs. They're ready to go to work for you today for that dream home, maybe your first home, refinancing, possibly a cash out to pay for some bills or some other things you've got in front of you. Let his team go to work for you today at 205-661-6868. It's Fox Mortgage and Jim Corey where they're quick as a fox, 205-661-6868. Now at his feet we I want to finish out this uh, last five or six minutes here with um, an audio clip that I saw several months ago. I saved it, and it's surely making the rounds today on social media, and I am so glad it is. It is from one of our uh, programs here on the station, Every Day Truth for Life at 1230. Many of you listen to Alistair Begg during your lunch break, I know, uh, if you're out in your car or running around at lunchtime and then you pick us back up when you get off work. So I know many of you are familiar with Alistair Begg. And um, he talks about the importance of preaching the gospel, the cross to ourselves. And then he talks about... um, um, He talks about the cross. Let me just not set it up any more than that. I want you to hear this. It's a couple of minutes long, but if you haven't heard it, it is especially powerful. And again, Alistair Begg, and he comes on this station every day at 1230. Without preaching the cross to ourselves all day and every day, we will very, very quickly revert to faith plus works as the ground of our salvation. So that to go to the old uh, Fort Lauderdale question, if you were to die tonight and, and, and you were getting entry into heaven, what would you say? If you answer that, and if I answer it in the first person, we've immediately gone wrong. Because I, because I believed, because I have faith, because I am this, because I am continuing. Loved ones, the only proper answer is in the third person, because he, because he. Think about the thief on the cross. 
I want an immense, I can't can't wait to find that fellow one day to ask him, how did that shake out for you? Because you 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 were cussing the guy out with your friend. You'd never been in a Bible study. You never got baptized. You, never, you didn't know a thing about church membership. And, and, yet, and yet, you made it. You made it. How did you make it? That's what the angel must have said. You know, like, what are you doing here? Well, I don't know. What, what do you mean you don't know? Well, because like, I don't know. Well, you know, we, uh, uh, did you? Excuse me, let me get my supervisor. Okay, the supervisor ranger. So, we have just a few questions for you. First of all, are you are you are you are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? The guy said, "I've never heard of it in my life." And and what about? Let's just go to the doctrine of scripture immediately. This guy's just staring. And eventually, in frustration, he says, "On on what basis are you here?" And he said, the man on the middle cross said, I can come. Now, now, that's the, that is the only answer. That is the only answer. And if I don't preach the gospel to myself all day and every day, then I will find myself beginning to trust myself, trust my experience, which is part of my fallenness as a man. If I take my eyes off the cross, I can then give only lip service to its efficacy while at the same time living as if my salvation depends upon me. And as soon as you go there, it will lead you either to abject despair or a horrible kind of arrogance. And it is only the cross of Christ that deals both with the dreadful depths of despair and the pretentious arrogance of the pride of man that says, you know, I can figure this out and I'm doing wonderfully well. No, because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free for God that just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. That's why Luther says most of your Christian life is outside of you in this sense. That we know that we're not saved by good works. Amen. The man on the middle cross said I could come. (laughs) And uh, there is no better answer than that, my friends. Let's don't overcomplicate it. We went through a lot of detail. And, uh, you know, there's so much more detail that we didn't cover. But uh, we went through a lot. All right. The evidences of the resurrection on the other side from 2012. I'll sound a lot different. But let me tell you something. The content is excellent.
everybody. Welcome back. Five minutes after the hour. It's Priority Talk here with Greg Davis here on WXJC. Take time this weekend. Focus on the cross, especially today, tonight, uh, and tomorrow. Uh, uh, begin to uh, anticipate and uh, to, uh, to be ready to celebrate Easter Sunday, as uh, Carmen uh, led off the show with today. Sunday's coming. And so we'll live in victory of that. Sunday's coming, the resurrection. And uh, we're going to talk about that right now. Uh, Mr. Warren Lightfoot and uh, your precious wife here in studio with us as well. Robbie here with us. And uh, so we're glad to have you here with us. Uh, attorney at law here in Birmingham. And uh, we're going to turn the uh, sword in a way. We're going to turn the studio here into a courtroom, kind of. You're used to being in courtrooms a lot. So I uh, want to make you feel at home. Yeah. Thank you, Greg. Um, I did spend about 40-something years in the courtroom yeah. de- dealing with evidence, and, uh, yep. and that's sort of what we're here about, I think. Absolutely. Well, you gave a uh, presentation of this out this morning out at the Center for Executive Leadership with Mr. Richard Simmons on one of their big Friday breakfasts that they have over at the Birmingham Country Club, and hundreds, hundreds of men come out. at What time does it start? Six? It, the breakfast is at 6.30, 630. which is really early, yes. and then the, the talk started at 7 o'clock right. and was over at 7.45. Right. So uh, he has hundreds of men come out to that before work in the morning. And uh, every, I've been to those uh, many times and uh, sure enjoy. I don't get to go anymore because of doing the radio at 8 o'clock. It's kind of, I have to be here before. So it's just hard for me to go. Now, I guess I could come by and eat breakfast, but that probably <laughs> wouldn't be right just to show up and eat breakfast and then leave. But uh, when I saw that you were going to be there giving the, this evidence, uh, then I wanted to, uh, I wanted our listeners to hear it as well. And, uh, you know, I, I, I've studied some of this and taught it. And I know you've went surely, uh, you know, so in depth with it and are, uh, and you know, ready to articulate it. Um, how do you think about this? You know, the evidence and the resurrection. Uh, why? First of all, why do you think it's important that we study the evidence for the resurrection? You know, Greg. It, 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 to me, that the resurrection is the absolute cornerstone, the citadel of our faith. If if there's no resurrection, Christianity is meaningless. Yes. Saint Paul said that. Um, without it, we don't have anything. Um, Without it, we are still in our sinful state, just like we were before the world ever heard Jesus' name. Yes. With it, we have everything. So, so the the question is, did it occur? And and in getting ready for this talk a couple of summers ago, I started working on what is the evidence and how convincing is it? How persuasive is it? And the more I looked at it, and the more I read about it, in some books yeah. that you've read, yeah. who moved the stone? Yeah. Uh, evidence that demands a verdict. Um, and the Bible, of course, the more convinced I became that this is powerful, persuasive evidence. Um, uh, it's the kind of evidence you'd love to have in, in a courtroom. Exactly. In a case. If you it, had it, you'd feel great about the case, wouldn't you? It'd be a slam dunk case mm. if we had this evidence. And and you start, Greg, with the empty tomb. And, and that is an immutable um irrefutable fact of history. It was empty. Yeah. It, the other religions of the world still have bones in the graves of Confucius and Buddha and, and Muhammad and Abraham. Our founder's tomb is empty. Yes. And there is no question it was empty. Even the Jews admit it was empty. Yeah. The Romans admit it was empty. See, then the question becomes, how did it become empty? Hmm. And, and the Jews paid some people, we read this in Matthew, to say the disciples came and stole it while, while we slept. Sure there was did. a Roman guard there. Started paying people off right That's away. Right. And there's a guard there. And they said, you go tell people, we're going to pay you some money, you go tell people that the disciples came and stole it while we slept. Well, St. Augustine had something to say about that. He said, wait just a minute. 
either they were asleep or they were awake. If they were awake, why would they, he used ancient kind of wording, he said, why would they suffer the body to be stolen? Mm -hmm. If they were asleep, how could they know the disciples took it? How dare they say the disciples came and stole the body while we slept? Um, and there's another little piece of evidence about that, Greg. You know, the, the Jews and the Sanhedrin, the high priests, put out the word the disciples stole the body. And yet, consider this. They hauled the disciples before the Sanhedrin many times for what they were preaching, Christ's resurrection. Yeah. They never mentioned the theft of the body. Mm. They never mentioned that the, that the Jews stole the body. Right. Um, if... You know, if they if they thought it was stolen, charge them with it. Right. Um, but there was no evidence. And and, and when well, the empty tomb is sort of like you know, I guess in a murder case, um, you you know, you need a body. Right. <laughs> and in this case, uh, there is no body. It's right. the opposite. Exactly. And it's that profound and that important that there is no body. Mm. And so, skeptics have come up with four theories. And the first is, the first is that he swooned. Mm -hmm. He didn't really die. Right. Well, Greg. Come on. Um, he's, he's, he's lashed with a Roman cat of nine tails, 39 lashes. It's long leather thongs with little pieces of metal in, e in the end of each one. Lashed to the point that many victims died during that lashing. Mm. That was the scourging. Um, it, so he, then he was nailed to the cross through his hands and his feet. And, and he, he's there suffering from exposure, shock loss of blood and he can't take a deep breath Greg mm -hmm. because it, the only way to take a deep breath when you've when you've been nailed like that is to push up on your hands and feet so that you can aspirate he couldn't aspirate every time he tried to take a deep breath he had this excruciating pain from his hands and his feet so as a result his lungs filled a little bit more with fluid right. on every attempted breath and so the combination of all those conditions caused him to die yeah. and the Roman soldiers you know they knew how to recognize whether somebody's dead or not yeah they knew a dead body when they saw they did. one that was their job they, yeah, they were well schooled in exactly it. they confirmed that he was dead they reported it to Pilate then they came back and reconfirmed it by thrusting a spear into his side right. which pierced his lung he was dead but let's give these skeptics the benefit of the doubt let's say he wasn't let's so the skeptics are saying he didn't really die he right. passed out or yep, a, that's right yeah kind of was a appeared dead but wasn't really dead bingo and so they say well okay he came to all right now let's consider that he was put in a cold tomb for 36 hours without medical attention food or water okay and so this battered tragic figure wakes up he gets up on his broken feet and moves the massive stone that required several men. Mm -hmm. And then he appears to his followers, a radiant and powerful commanding presence on Easter morning. And, and, and he, he appears so healthy that he can convince them that he, he has overcome death. That, that is, that, that's way beyond my comprehension and to me, not possible. Yeah. And then he goes off, let's, let's, say, let's say it did happen. Let's say the skeptics are right. So. So he appears to his disciples, and he allows them to go perpetuate a fraud mm. and found a new religion and turn the world upside down while he goes off and hides somewhere yeah, and, and watches. Yeah, it's never seen again. Or he conspires with them. He says, hey, I tell you what, let's all pretend that I've come back to life. Go out and found a new religion based on this monumental fraud. Yeah. 
and then I'll disappear in a few few weeks and not even be part of it. Bingo. Yeah. Anybody that would do that would be setting themselves up to be in some position of power or prestige, exactly. and uh, in, in life. Exactly. Not not in not in death or perpetuation. Exactly. And the disciples, they're going to go out and they're going to offer themselves to be put to death. They're going to allow their families to be hounded and tortured. Their friends to be put to death for a lie. Hmm. I don't think so. That the swoon theory doesn't work. Yeah. Does That's it work? One. So if you're speaking to the jury about the swoon theory. You'd sum it up and say what to them, and we'll go to break. You know, it, it, you can't take all of these arguments and cast them aside and come up with somebody who has, who holds himself out to have overcome death. Yeah, that's it. All right, guys, stay tuned. When we come back, uh, we're going to continue to uh, go through the evidences for the resurrection with Attorney Warren Lightfoot. Uh, we're uh, we're turning this into a into a courtroom here, and you're the jur- jury. You're getting to listen in, and uh, you get to make your own decision about the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Listen, it's a, uh, it's a. Uh, you, you say, well, I believe it by faith. Well, faith is great. Faith is fine. But listen, I don't I don't think God has ever asked us to have blind faith. He has given us His Word. He's given us His truth, and uh, it, we, we're not stepping out on blind faith. Look, the evidence is there. Here's a, a veteran attorney telling us if he had this evidence in the courtroom. It would be a slam dunk case. Uh, continue to listen. If you got a question, call us. 942-8585 is the number. We'll be right back. Mortgage NMLS 184762. Jim Corey NMLS 212055. Six years ago was my opportunity to get the first loan through Fox Mortgage and Jim. He was able to get me a pretty decent rate at the time. And six years later, I'm looking at a refi. Gary talks about his mortgage experience working with Fox Mortgage President Jim Corey. I was actually with a military-friendly banking institution and was going with them initially. And then I had an issue with trying to track down a VA certificate of eligibility. And I called Jim's office. When I asked him the question, he says, well, any reason you're not going with me again? So I said, well, I, I thought I got the best rate. And he says, well, let me let me check. So he, he checked, and he actually beat the rate that I was currently thinking that it couldn't be beat. So he's a repeat performer. Uh, he's phenomenal in everything he does. He keeps the ball rolling. I can't say enough about how pleasant the experience was. He made everything easy. We went through and closed in less than 30 days. Hi, I'm Jim Corey, president of Fox Mortgage. I'm ready to help you with your mortgage needs. Call now. 661-6868. Fox Mortgage, where we're quick as a fox. Fox Mortgage President Jim Corey and his team, let them go to work for you. Jody, Dawson, Melody, look, they're great partners, and they will help you find the right program at the lowest rate with the lowest closing costs. They're ready to go to work for you today for that dream home, maybe your first home, refinancing, possibly a cash out to pay for some bills or some other things you've got in front of you. Let his team go to work for you today at 205-661-6868. It's Fox Mortgage and Jim Corey where they're quick as a fox, 205-661-6868. One day when heaven was filled with his praises, one day when sin was as black as could be, 
Jesus came forth to be born of a virgin. He dwelt among men like example is he. One day they led him up Calvary's mountain. One day they nailed him to die on a tree. Suffering anguish, despised and rejected, bearing our sins, my Redeemer is he. The hands and heal nations stretched out on a tree. Took the nails for me Okay, welcome back. Uh, 20 minutes after the hour. Glad to have you with us. Priority Talk with Greg Davis. And uh, we're talking Good Friday. We're talking Easter all day long. Uh, you're going to hear the music continually for the rest of the show as we, uh, through music, celebrate uh, what this weekend means to all of us as Christians. And uh, we're visiting with Warren Lightfoot. We're going through the, uh, re- the evidences for the resurrection. We've turned the uh, studio into a courtroom, and you're the jury. And uh, he's making the presentation for us. And uh, the overwhelming evidence, we believe, that Jesus did resurrect from the grave. It's not something you just have to believe by, by uh, blind faith. Uh, faith is great, and it's by grace through faith that we're saved. But uh, we have a foundation for our faith. And your, your faith is only as good as what you place it in. And if you place your faith in something that's faulty from the first, you'll be fooled all the way down. And uh, we want you to know that you're placing your faith in something that is sure, uh, something that uh, we don't have to just believe just because somebody else told us to believe it or because mom and daddy told us or because the uh, church told us or because somebody on TV told you. But you can believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and you can believe in the power of, of Christ and Christianity uh, in, in this life and for eternity because it is the truth and because there is evidences of the truth. And, of course, uh, my good friend Josh McDowell, I guess, was one of the first ones to kind of coin that way back in the early 70s when he uh, presented evidence that demands a verdict. And uh, he uh, has uh, influenced many thinkers with that, and also more than a carpenter, his book like that. And I'm sure you've drawn on those for some of your study with Who Moved the Stone and oh. so many others. But uh, Warren Lightfoot here in studio with us, attorney at law, many years, uh, how many, four decades, you said? Yeah, over four uh, Over decades. four decades uh, in the courtrooms and uh, standing before juries. And uh, here we are as we, uh, as we talk about the evidence. So we talked about the swoon theory, about the fact that some skeptics would say, well, Jesus didn't really die, he just passed out, and then he... You know, then he was in the tomb and he, and he woke up. Okay, so we've already debunked that one, shot that one down. Now let's talk about, as we continue to talk about the fact that, you know, the, uh, the, the tomb was empty. Some would say, you say, that the Jews stole the body. That's Tell right. us about that one. Yeah, before we get to the Jews, okay. one comment about who moved the stone. You, you mentioned that. Yeah. Uh, Frank Morrison was an English barrister, and he was a skeptic. And he said, you know, one of these days I'm going to sit down and I'm going to write a book disproving the resurrection. Mm. And so he set about doing research. And he was an honest skeptic. And he did hundreds of hours of research. And he came to the opposite conclusion. And he said, it's undeniable that the, that the, that yeah. the resurrection occurred. The evidence 
is overwhelming to me. So he sat down and wrote Who Moved the Stone. Yeah, well, Josh McDowell basically did the same, same thing. Same thing. Yeah, he was a college student and was going to disprove Christianity and couldn't do it and wound up becoming one of the most uh, ardent proponents of Christianity following. And the evidence did that for those two men. That's right. And it'll do it for you and me and anybody else who really looks at it. And the second theory of the skeptics is that the Jew, the tomb was empty because the Jews came and stole the body. Well, first of all, the Jews couldn't get past the Roman guard, Greg. Second of all, they didn't have any motivation to do it. Mm-hmm. They, the Jews had the opposite motivation. When Christianity began to flourish right there in Jerusalem, if the Jews had had a corpse, believe you me, they'd have come up with it in a heartbeat. Yeah. And they, that would trump any claim of these disciples. So that theory is pretty quickly dealt with. It, it, it holds no water. There's no evidence to support it. So motivation is a big thing. Yeah. You can't show the motivation for why they would have done this. Exactly. And so as a jury, you got to look at it and go, they had no reason to do it. Right. In fact, they went to see Pilate and said, put a guard there so nobody can steal the body. Right. Un, uh, you know, unconsciously providing us with some powerful evidence for resurrection, as it turns out. But anyway, the Jews, we can dispose of that didn't didn't steal the body and never would have and never would think of it right right they, they wanted there to be a body so you that bet. this so that this uh, zealot this religious zealot was dead and everyone would know it and, uh, and it would kill down the uh, the, the uprising right. and, and, and the uh, estab- and challenging of the established uh, say religious figures of that day exactly so that's theory number two okay the- theory number three is the Romans stole the body. Well, that one fails for the same reason. There's no motivation. The Romans would love to have come up with a corpse and say, these revolutionaries are completely wrong. He's the dead Jesus. He, he's no resurrected Messiah. And the Romans, maybe, maybe they could get past the Roman guard, but, but nonetheless, they had no motivation. Right. And it, 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 that goes against human nature, and it couldn't have happened based on what we know about human beings. Well, the Jews would have wanted to protect, uh, had a body for to protect their religious interest. The uh, the Romans would have wanted a body to protect the political interest. Exactly. And so that, that disposes of those two. Then you come to number four. Yeah. The disciples stole the body. Mm. And that's the one that the Jews have tried to pursue ever since that day. And the, there's a problem with that. First of all, how are the disciples going to get past the Roman guard? You know, uh, the second thing is this. The disciples, it's clear from Scripture, never thought Jesus was going to rise again. He, they didn't understand that prediction. The Jews understood it, mm-hmm. and they worried about it. But the disciples were confounded and confused by every time Jesus would say, I'm going to put, be put to death, and the third day I'm going to rise again. They didn't understand Never it understood it. Until after it happened. Yeah. So they had no motivation. Plus, listen to this. They were dejected, distraught, despondent. They had scattered into the night at Gethsemane. Only Peter and John, and I'll talk about that in a minute, followed along behind the arresting party. At a distance. The others were terrified. They thought they might be next. To think that that dejected little group of peasants could organize themselves and go confront the Roman guard, four four Roman soldiers and a centurion, Mm. and say, we're going to get that body. that's not going to happen. No. And and to think that maybe they crept in there while the guard was asleep and they didn't hear it when they moved the big stone. But the most powerful evidence is this, Greg. If they stole the body, let's assume that. The disciples went off and stole it and hid it. Mm-hmm. 
And so then they found a religion based on the vilest of lies, mm. on a monumental fraud. They go out there and they preach and they are hounded and persecuted and tortured and killed yep. for a lie, mm. for something that they don't believe and they know to be a fraud. That doesn't happen. Yeah. That's the most powerful evidence of all. It really is. They changed lives. How they went the from being uh, how they went from being cowards uh, on the run, Peter and John only following at a distance. The rest of them, who knows where they were, um, to now they're they're emboldened to stand uh, to stand in the uh, in, in the in the in the religious and the political centers of, of Jerusalem and preach the, this message at the threat of death or prison, and then finally takes them to prison and takes them to death, and, and horrible death. Uh, you know, tradition says Peter was crucified upside down. I want to talk about Peter yeah. whenever you have time. I don't know how we stand on time. Yeah, well, let's kind of, let's kind of, um, we'll come back and, and maybe get into some of that. We've got about, oh, a minute and a half here. This is Greg, and I want to take a moment and tell you about my friends at Alabama Reliable Roofing. They're your local roofing expert. Since 1998, they've provided residential and commercial clients with exceptional roofing services. They've got a professional and experienced team that is well-equipped to provide repairs, installation of shingles, and even metal roofs all across north-central Alabama. A roof is important. It's one of the major investments of your life in your home or your business or your church, and you need to call a company who you know can handle the job. They've got extensive years of experience, and you can rest assured that they will meet and exceed your expectations. Whether your roof has suffered storm damage and needs repairs, or you just need a new roof installed, or maybe you just need an inspection and know what the next steps are, the professional technicians from Alabama Reliable Roofing can handle the job. Call owner Jeff Harding personally at 205-369-9630. Jeff will personally manage every job. He'll be at your home or your place of business managing the job. 205-369-9630. Talk to Jeff for a no-obligation conversation and a free estimate. It's Alabama Reliable Roofing, Welcome back. Uh, that's Rise Again by Dallas Holm. That's an old one there. Uh, that goes back, I believe, about to the late 70s. A great Easter song, I tell you what. And uh, you'll still have uh, people singing that as a solo, I'm sure, on Sunday or maybe even as a uh, congregational uh, song as well. So uh, fantastic. 35 minutes after the hour, uh, we continue to visit with uh, attorney at law Warren Lightfoot here in studio with us over four decades uh, in law and uh, presenting evidences and, uh, and juries. And he's doing it for us this morning. We're the jury and uh, we're looking at the evidences of the empty tomb. 
And uh, what a powerful statement that is, that there is no body, uh, there is no tomb with a body. And, uh, you know, and I've been over to Israel. Uh, Mr. Lightfoot, I don't know if you have. Have you been to Israel? No, I haven't. Yeah, I went some uh, 10 years ago over to Israel. And, um, you know, they got two different places that they they postulate could have been the, the two. The two. Um, one of them uh, has a big church built over it, and it's not really that meaningful because it's just a building now. The other one, though, the garden tomb, is a, is a genuine uh, tomb from that time period. And it could have been the one. But if not, it would have been very similar to that. And, uh, you know, when you when you step in there, they've got the sign that says, uh, he is not here, he is risen. And uh, that, you know, that's always, you know, this time of year, I always remember that, um, that the, the, the biggest thing we've got going is that he is not there. There is no body. And uh, that is the, uh, the greatest evidence. But there's some skeptics who step out and even try to challenge the fact that there's not a body. And uh, they say that maybe Jesus simply passed out or swooned is the word. Uh, and didn't really die, but then he uh, he woke back up in the tomb when the you know when he cooled off and relaxed. Um, so we've we've debunked that one. Maybe the Jews stole the body; they had no motivation. Maybe the Romans stole the body; they had no motivation to do so. In fact, it worked against them. They're the ones that put him to death. They would have been the ones who would have wanted a body to uh, show that he was dead. Uh, and then the other is that the disciples maybe stole the body. Uh, did they have motivation to do that? Maybe on the surface they may have had some. Um, but you say once we get further into it and we look at where they were, that they were, um, were kind of cowarded down, they had split, they had went different ways. Uh, the last thing they were thinking is we're going to found a new religion out of this um, until they see Jesus resurrected from the dead. And then from that point forward, it's different. Exactly. And, and the, the post-resurrection appearances were, were so profound and so powerful that these disciples changed their whole lives and acted on those appearances. And, and skeptics say, well, they were hallucinations. But neurobiologists tell us, Greg, that no two people ever have the same hallucination, no, uh -uh. much less dozens, even hundreds. St. Paul said that the risen Christ appeared to as many as 500 right. people. And these were not, not emotionally unstable people who wanted them to occur. No. These are people who saw him and really resisted it, like Mary Magdalene thought he was the gardener, like yeah. the, the pair on, on the road to Emmaus thought he was an uninformed stranger. The disciples thought he was a ghost, and so Thomas didn't even believe it. Exactly at first. Uh, that's right. He had to see it and touch him, mm -hmm. and and so based on these appearances, the disciples then became courageous, and they changed their whole lives as a result of that, and they faced enormous odds. Mm governments, empires, kingdoms, the public, all the governments criminalized their behavior. Mm -hmm. So they faced unrelenting persecution. And, and people were put to death and hounded and tortured simply because of what they believed. St. Paul was part of that. He was then called Saul. And he put Christians to death with great enthusiasm because yep. these were enemies of established religion. Plus, he decided, too, that they were frauds. They were basing all this religion on an empty tomb because they stole the body. Mm. So not only were they heretics in, in Saul's mind, but they were also frauds. Mm. And Buddy, he was going to take every one of them out until he went to Damascus. And then he was a changed man. And then he literally stood alone. The Jews weren't no part of their old enemy. And the, I mean, the Jews now were his enemy and the great persecution applied to him. 
The disciples wanted no part of him. He's their old, brutal, implacable enemy. Right. They said, we don't believe that. Right. But he did change. Yes. And then he spent his life talking about his entire faith was based on the fact that Jesus Christ is risen yep. to the point of being put to death for that. Yes. James, the brother of Jesus, was a, was a skeptic. You remember in the early days of Jesus' ministry, his family thought he was not in his right mind. And another time they were offended by it. James was a very skeptical brother. And yet, when he saw the risen Christ, he became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And the Sanhedrin knew that. And they said, you know, if we can break James, yeah. we'll cripple the new faith. Yeah. So they haul him before the Sanhedrin and try him for his preaching. And James stood his ground and they stoned him to death. Mm. And we have a Jewish historian who tells us exactly that. Yes. Then you come to Peter. And Peter, you know, Peter had a lot of bluster about him, and he told the Lord in the upper room, Lord, I will never let you down. If I have to go to prison or to die with you, I will never let you down. And he hacks off the ear of the high priest's slave in the Garden of Gethsemane, and then Jesus heals it and tells Peter not to resist. Then they go to the, then they take Jesus away, and Peter follows along. He comes in the courtyard, and he's there warming his hands by the fire, right. and the maid asks him, Are you with the Galilean? And three times he denies it, the third time with a curse, saying, I tell you, I don't know the man. Right. And then Jesus comes by with his hands bound, and he looks at Peter across the firelight, and their eyes meet, and Peter goes fleeing into the night. So Peter is in the blackest of despair. He's proved for once and for all, if the stakes are high enough and, and, and the danger is great enough, he's a coward. Yeah. He's a craven coward. Mm-hmm. So Peter has a couple of days there to live with that in the blackest of despair. And then, Greg, on Easter morning, he sees that empty tomb, and he still didn't believe. Yep. John did, but Peter didn't. No. And then the Lord appeared to Peter. Just the two of them, Greg. Nobody else was there. And what a great reunion that must have been with Peter condemning himself over and over and with Christ forgiving him yes. over and over. And look at what Peter did. He stepped forward as the rock. He became a totally different human being. He thunders at the Jews and the Romans. You killed the Son of God, and you must repent. You killed him, God raised him, and you must repent. He's utterly fearless. He's become the great lion of God, and he leads the march of the church, and he is thrown into prison, he's threatened, and he's ultimately put to death mm. for his belief. That's irrefutable evidence to me that Christ was risen. Yeah, hard to believe he went from that guy fleeing in the dark after uh, denying Christ th you know, the three times, as, as he had told him he would, and then uh, not too long after that, uh, after, the, after seeing Christ risen and, and, and encountering him, uh, then becomes this bold spokesperson that steps out on the day of Pentecost and delivers the, the first message, and thousands of people uh, come to uh, to faith in Christ because of his testimony, because of his message that day. I mean, um, you know, you go from a coward to, to, to Billy Graham, you know, what we would say, to somebody who can step out and present that message and draw thousands. You know, a guy who doesn't believe it, a guy who's not, uh, who, who hasn't seen it, hasn't experienced it, it was the power of his word and his testimony of the risen Savior uh, is what began the church and brought all those 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 earliest believers uh, to to Christ in faith. There's no possible explanation for Peter's transformation mm -hmm. except the risen Christ and the Holy Spirit. 
Yeah. Uh, totally different person. Yeah. Well, and the you know you mentioned the hallucinations that you know maybe these uh, post-resurrection appearances were, um, you know, where where people were hallucinating and they were seeing things and like you said, people don't hallucinate the same thing. You know, if I'm if I hallucinate and you hallucinate, we see two different things. You know, I often say you know it was 500 at one time, and uh, you know if they were all if that many people were hallucinating, that was the earliest Pink Floyd concert ever recorded. <laughs> You know what I mean? I mean, you know, people weren't hallucinating, friends, all right? And they sure weren't all seeing the exact same thing in their hallucination. And a hallucination doesn't change your life. You don't leave a hallucination and go, boy, I saw that, you know, while I was, uh, you know, while I was uh, hopped up on some herb or something like that and uh, and go forward and, and then become this, uh, this wild uh, spokesperson, leader of a revolution, a, a religious revolution, uh, that founds a new uh, that founds a new religion that basically uh, turns the world upside down. Acts okay. tells us they turn their work. These folks went from coward followers to uh, people leaders of a new religion who literally in Thessalonica they said turn the world upside down. How do you explain that? Besides, it's true. Exactly. It, there's one other little piece of evidence that C.S. Lewis cites. He's so bright and so lucid, and he said. You know, it's extremely important that on some of these post-resurrection appearances, people didn't recognize the risen Christ. He said, it's as though God sent this holy hallucination, according to the skeptics, mm-hmm. and he, the author of all faces, couldn't get the face on this hallucination quite right. And he said, you yep. know, clearly, clearly, it's the risen Christ. It is, it is. And so, you know, we have people come and go with us. Uh, Mr. Lightfoot, uh, as an attorney in a courtroom, if again, if you had this evidence that you've presented, what, how would you feel about the case, and what, what would be the result of a case if you were in front of those 12 jurors and alternates, and you presented this case, this evidence, uh, again, how would you feel about that case, and what, what would you say would be the result? You know, I had my share of losses, Greg. I, I can recognize a loser when I see one, mm-hmm. and some of them I could see coming. Some of them now I you're didn't laughing see. at that. He had he had his losses. <laughs> <laughs> some of them I didn't see coming. Yeah, um, and I managed to win a few. But on this one, you know, I don't believe there's any doubt about it. And I'd love to have twelve jurors, and I'd love to have this case, and I'd love to have Satan mount his best shot on the other side of the question Mm. if you did you said earlier it's a slam dunk slam dunk well there it is folks it's the evidences of the resurrection warren lightfoot Uh, what an outstanding presentation and you've done this before did it this morning with hundreds of men and now thousands of listeners and uh we got to spread the word and so uh you know maybe you just kind of been believing this thing on faith well no longer do you have to now you know uh, this will firm up your faith and this will also give you answers when uh, you encounter skeptics or you encounter people that have a hard time believing uh, that someone could have come back from life. Now you can tell them it's supernatural, and here's the evidences of it. That's exactly right. It, sometimes, Greg, when we have a jury and we're arguing at the end of the case, you know you've got some folks on that jury that are for your viewpoint. And what you want to do in that argument is give them some ammunition. Mm-hmm. Give them something they can use when they're talking to other people, right? to other jurors in that case. Yep. But in the case of your listeners, when they're talking to folks who are skeptical, this powerful evidence in support of what we're saying, yeah. it's there. Amen. It is there. It is there. Outstanding. Great job. And, uh, you know, attorney, but, man, preacher as well. I tell you what. I tell you what. Well, we, hey, 
when you're heralding, heralding the gospel, that's preaching. We're all called to be preachers. We're all, we're all called to herald the gospel. Thank you so much Thank for you, coming Greg, in for and giving us this. Outstanding. And uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I know uh, the listeners will uh, be encouraged by it and be able to use that. And who showed the moon where to hide till One Point USA is a security company serving churches and businesses in the state of Alabama. Don't wait until something happens to protect your employees and your valuable property. One Point USA's experienced staff understands your security needs and wants to help you before a problem arises. From video surveillance to card access control and commercial security systems, One Point USA has got you covered. Call One Point USA today at 205-701-0191. That's 205-701-0191 or visit OnePointUSA.com. That's the number OnePointUSA.com. OnePointUSA. Be secure. I'd like to thank all you guys for joining us today here on WXJC uh, Priority Talk 101.1 FM. We've had a wonderful time with you all this week, as a matter of fact. This is Jason. Uh, Greg is is kind of taken out of the uh, studio for a little bit here. Uh, for the last part of the day to uh, kind of get an early jump start on uh, this weekend, uh, being that today is Good Friday and we're celebrating the, the the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And you, you just, as a Christian, you you can't ask for anything better than to know that He's risen, that He's no longer in the grave. He's, you know, he, He's He's in our lives. He's eternal. He's alive within us all. He's alive forevermore. And we've had such a good time with, with everything that's happened this week as far as being able to retrace his steps, all that he gave up and sacrificed for us. It's just been an amazing thing to be able to recount every bit of what we saw in the Bible, what we've been taught, what we've seen in Jerusalem and, and throughout Israel, his journey, how he came to, to us, the sacrifice that he provided to us, how God put him here as a way of showing us how much he loves us, 
how much he's cared for us, how much that we've had to realize in everything that was given to us through the Bible to know that he came here for us. As a matter of fact, there's, a, there, there, there's kind of a, a thing that needs to be looked upon in this one regard. When Jesus came to us to be able to be our Savior, to be the Jewish Messiah of the world, it took not only the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees and the Sadducees laying hands upon him, but it also took the Romans who were not Jewish, who were the secular part of the world, who were the, 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 the ones who were basically accounted for the rest of us in the world who were not Jewish. Both the Romans and the Jews had to lay hands on him for him to become the Jewish Messiah of the world. And that's what a lot of people sometimes don't really, or it's not taught in the pulpit very often. Um, and it's at the same time, it's, it's a situation where when you look at it from that respect, that he had to have hands placed on him by both the Sanhedrin and the Romans. That's how you start to realize that he came here for a purpose. And although he was scared in some of his moments and when he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, he still was able to turn around and realize what he had to do, why he was here, and what he was giving up and the sacrifice he was making out of love for all of us. I hope that each and every one of you have a blessed Easter weekend. I hope that you're able to share your experiences in being able to come to with, with your relationship with Christ and be able to uh, witness to others who have not had the opportunity to know him, to be able to share and extend that love with him, and, excuse me, with, with, with anyone really, that you can, to know who Yeshua Jesus is, why he came here and what he did, why he did what he did, and to be able to un understand and have others understand around you what that sacrifice really was. I want to thank each and every one of you for being here this week. We're looking forward to being with you again this next week. We've got a lot of things coming up, Greg and I. It's going to be a good time for this weekend. We'd like to say to each and every one of you, bless you with God's grace and love and mercy be on, on your life. And always remember that we're here seven day, five, excuse me, five days a week right here on WXJC. It's Priority Talk with Christian views and good values and good news, and we want you to be a part of it. Five days a week, we're here from 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. Thank you for being with us. Join us next time right here on WXJC Priority Talk. So I'm going home.